Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I am your host, Michael Megan, and we have an awesome show for you tonight. Before we get into that, I'd like to remind everyone that if you're enjoying the content, please make sure to give us a rating and review. And if you have haven't done so already, tell some of your friends about the podcast available on all major podcast platforms and follow us on Instagram as well as the Any Given You Facebook page and group. Our group membership has swelled this week from 287 members. Now we're sitting at 450. So thank you, everybody putting out the word. Continue to send people our way. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Week two response episode recapping a week that many would have considered to be a snoozer in the world of college football, but we know better than that. The game never slows down. There are no slow weeks. It is a frantic rat race and a struggle every week, and this one did not disappoint. We'll respond to how our predictions fared now that we're on the other side of the weekend, recap our best bets and what happened there, discuss our upset alert that nearly landed flush for two weeks in a row now, and talk some major shakeups in the college football landscape as the picture is beginning to come into focus. We're starting to solidify some of the empirical data on some of these teams as the eye test, as they like to say, is becoming a thing. I want to discuss all those things, so let's get right into it, and we could start nowhere else but the contest that went down in Columbus, Ohio, between Oregon and Ohio State, this was a ranked matchup. I don't think we can uh, really start anywhere else. Before we talk about what Ohio State did wrong, let's acknowledge the job that Oregon did. I feel like they did a really great job of coming in there. The moment wasn't too big for this team. That was a question that was on a lot of people's minds and executing a game plan that really had the mark of Mario Cristobal all over it. There was physicality, there was toughness, there was a a willingness to compete on the field. We have to give a shout out to a player that we previewed in CJ Verdell, had a great day on the ground, I think 160 yards, somewhere around that, hit Pater twice, as well as change of pace back Travis Dye. We we previewed that these guys would be a good one-two punch out of the backfield, and they did awesome executing the game plan for Joe Moorhead. Anthony Brown had another solid week operating the offense, and he made a handful of clutch throws to keep Ohio State's defense on the field and off balance. In power matchups like this, being effective on third down is key, and Oregon was effective at that most of the day. As we mentioned, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead did a fabulous job of identifying a a, a chink in the armor, if you will, for Ohio State, and that was their inability to set the edge That wasn't the only chink in the armor, but that was the biggest one, and he exploited it. Running a lot of those sweeps and tosses, pulling a lot of those uh, athletic big offensive linemen that they had, they did a really good job with their tight end position, sealing blocks, and and Dye and Verdell ran like their heads were on fire. So, um, you know, just a really good job there, taking advantage of what I would consider to be a less physical Ohio State defense than what we have been seeing or what we're used to seeing. I would say, you know, pre-2020. Now, defensively, the Ducks still gave up over 600 yards of offense to C.J. Stroud and crew, but they showed the ability to get stops in key moments, and that was something that Ohio State couldn't seem to do. I was impressed by Oregon's ability to get physical with the Ohio State receivers, which we have talked about, you know, being a very elite room in and of their own right and they they still got their yards and moved the ball but their ability to get physical with them and actually man up on these guys in some key spots we saw this because oregon actually has the speed to to hang with these guys which is something that you're not going to see out of most of the big 10 
And most impressive of all, the Ducks defense was down two huge impact players. Kayvon Thibodeau was out for this game and Justin Flo was as well. We got we received word today that Justin Flo, middle linebacker for the Ducks, will actually be out the rest of the year. So that is a big loss for them. But what you were able to see Oregon do is go next man up because of the way that Mario Cristobal has recruited to Eugene in the last couple of years. And that is an encouraging sign of a program that is on the rise. Now for Ohio State, I think you need to still be encouraged that your offense was able to move the ball effectively. And C.J. Stroud is going to continue to improve as the season goes on. This is only his second official start. I still think Ohio State is the team to beat in the Big Ten. As I alluded to earlier, Oregon brought talent you're not going to see in the Big Ten outside of maybe Ohio State itself, Penn State, possibly Michigan at times. And although this loss stings, it's not lights out for Ohio State's conference championship or college football playoff hopes, but now your margin for error has been removed. Now, Oregon was playing for their playoff hopes. They were playing for their playoff life, and and you got that feeling out of them with the way that they just brought it every single play. They were playing as if the season was on the line, and it really was not a lot of cases for them coming out of the Pac-12. So what is going to continue to be the Achilles heel for this Ohio State Buckeyes team is that defense. And I'm not just talking one aspect of it. I'm talking the entire defense has some serious concerns. Kerry Coombs is under a lot of fire right now. That would be Ohio State's defensive coordinator. There's no way Ohio State should be giving up, uh, let's see, last three contests, 118 total points in the last three outings. You're just seeing a lack of physicality, a lack of playing fast, and a lack of honestly seeing the bigger picture and knowing where to line up and execute from the Ohio State Buckeyes right now. So got to really, I've got some questions about what they're doing defensively on that staff. I think Ryan Day does too, as he alluded to in his press conference, saying that that defensive performance was unacceptable. But again, Ohio State is another is still a team that is going to move the ball, get points, so they're going to be able to mask a little bit of that moving forward in the Big Ten. But, you know, mark my words, when it comes to, you know, elite matchups, that defense is a serious concern. And uh, and I don't know if that's something that's going to get fixed this year. Moving on, let's talk about the contest in Ames, Iowa, as the Hawkeyes went in to take on Iowa State. I'm going to say this right now. Iowa is a team that is playing very good complementary football right now. They don't make many mistakes. They make you pay for yours. And that's exactly what happened in Ames this Saturday. The Hawkeyes only managed 173 yards of total offense, but you can win football games when you have a plus four turnover advantage. And that is what Iowa capitalized on. As we previewed, Iowa is an opportunistic team. Now, winning in that fashion every week, I don't think that's sustainable. You're going to have to see more offense out of this squad if they have any aspirations of representing the West in the Big Ten Championship. They must produce more on the offensive side of the ball, but it is a great win for them, and it played out exactly how we calculated it would. Good news for the Iowa Hawkeyes. There's not exactly a murderer's row of offenses in the in the Big Ten West, right? And you got Wisconsin, Northwestern's not looking so hot. Purdue could be a concern for them with their ability to uh, chuck the ball around. So they're going to have to keep pace with some of these offenses and continue to play mistake-free, but it is a very solid football team. Let's talk about what happened with Iowa State. I think Iowa State is still a solid football team, and they're going to go on and have a good year in the Big 12. I never really did see them winning it anyway, um, but I do see them being able to rack up wins within that conference and possibly push Oklahoma if they play – 
up to their full potential without mistakes. Brock Purdy, we, we previewed this. He has an inability sometimes to make sound judgment in big games. And I feel like Iowa State sort of inflated themselves as we talked about the pressure. We talked about in the offseason and coming into this contest how Iowa State was going to handle the target on their back. And I think we got an answer here. They're not handling it well. Okay, well, hey, good news. Pressure's off now. You're no longer an it top 10 front runner type team with any sort of real playoff aspirations at this point, at least in my opinion, unless you were to win out, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, I think pressure's off. I think they do a lot better in the underdog role. Uh, and what you saw in Ames just sort of stunk of false vibrato. They came out in the black jerseys. It's kind of like that younger brother of yours, like the younger, the little brother went to take on the bigger brother. You know, he's been hitting the weights. He's convincing himself that he can take the big brother or, you know, beat up the old man, if you will. And, uh, you know, he's been listening to Limp Biscuit in the parking lot and jazzing himself up and then goes in there. I'm going to kick your ass, man. And, you know, the old season combat veteran, the older brother, the dad, Iowa, in this in this case, kind of sat back and said, oh, come on, youngster. And you just saw that one squad was so amped up to try to get this win because they were just so emotionally invested in it. They allowed their passions and emotions to run wild and make a lot of those flagrant mistakes. All Iowa did was sit back and watch Iowa State punch themselves out with, you know, bad decisions, turnovers, and everything else, and they made them pay for it. So it's a solid win for the Hawkeyes. Again, not convinced. I've seen people try to put Iowa as high as number four in the rankings, you know, making them a playoff team. This is not a playoff team, but it is a very solid Big Ten West team, very solid Big Ten team, and could challenge the Buckeyes perhaps in Indianapolis by the end of the year if they continue to play mistake-free, complimentary, but they're going to have to find more offense if they want to realize that. Let's talk about this next contest that we also called right. Mizzou at Kentucky, we did say that this game could low-key be you know, the game to watch, and it was a very entertaining one. It proved what I thought it was going to be, that the passing show that we had from Kentucky in week one had a lot more to do with uh, Louisiana Monroe's suckiness and less to do with UK's new identity. When, mubber, when, the, uh, when the rubber met the road, as they say, they turned back into the pumpkin from the crystal carriage <laughs> that was that vaunted passing attack, right? And they went with their bread and butter, uh, University of Kentucky tactics, right? Which was pound the rock, right? Uh, you know, and, and, and play good defense. And that's exactly what they did. Now, Chris Rodriguez looked awesome in this one. He, again, Benny Snell 2.0, hit the hole with a lot of uh, viciousness, ran angry. You saw that he was dragging defenders down the field. It just looked like some of Missouri's second and third level defenders didn't want any of that. They wanted no part of that. Uh, and Missouri's defense is going to continue to be a liability from a physicality perspective, missing tackles. And unfortunately for them, it starts up front. This year, you're not seeing a vaunted Tigers defensive line like you usually see from the Missouri uh, Tigers, from that product that they're used to putting out. Um, but again, flipping to the other side of the ball, which you do need to be encouraged about if you're a Missouri fan, is Connor Basilak is an absolute dude. He's a stud. He's a playmaker and threw four touchdowns in this contest. They're going to be able to chuck the ball around. Um, Tyler Beatty is an absolute monster back there for playmaker as far as a running and receiving threat. Sort of reminds me a little bit of 
you know, how you saw Doug Martin sort of get used at Boise State and, you know, when he played with the Buccaneers as well, making catches out of the backfield, turning it into explosive plays, you know, ripping off explosive runs, runs with a lot of good lateral movement, great vision. So, Again, this is going to be an offense that's going to be tough to contend with out of the Missouri Tigers, but that defense, again, as we sort of previewed with some of the other teams, is going to be a liability. Now, I still like both of these squads to be eight-win teams and uh, possibly be an upset you know, possibility right, for any team in the SEC East, and I'm including Georgia in that one. If you show up and you play flat against any either of these teams, you could be coming out of it with a loss. Let's go on and talk about one that we got wrong real quick. That would be NC State taking a trip to Mississippi State. NC State at one point had a 105-yard to 5-yard advantage on Mississippi State, and that was about the tipping point in the game where all of a sudden they just kind of forgot how to play football. I don't know what happened. You know, it's almost like uh, when the Joker in the Dark Knight, he goes, what happened? Your balls drop off? I mean, like literally that's what I sort of felt like with this NC State squad that we previewed being a very fast, physical, tough team. And they just didn't show that. They didn't show that over the course of game in Starkville. Uh, Mississippi State got some help right at the beginning of the game, taking a 100-yard kickoff return to the house. But after that, you just saw the expression of SEC speed versus whatever NC State was bringing to the table. And unfortunately, you know, this again is another bad acid test for the ACC. I consider NC State to be a top four or five team in the ACC this year. I think they're going to look good in the ACC. The problem is, is they ran into the SEC and not even the SEC's best. Um, there is just such a disparity in the leagues right now when you're talking SEC versus the field. Um, and, and this game put it on display for me. I really had a lot of faith in this NC State squad, but Mississippi State put it together. Their top 20 defense that they were you know, supposed to come into the year with, which you know, in the power rankings that Mississippi State has a top 20 defense, I think at right at 19 or 20. But either way, they expressed themselves. They, they showed that. They shut down NC State. They got more physical with them, and they just they by the end of the game they were just taking it to them. To be honest with you, it turned out to be a little bit of a blowout, twenty four to three. Good win for the guys in Stark Vegas. What this means for both these squads? Well, I think NC State will go on and still have a solid year in the ACC. I don't know. Jury's out on Mississippi State. I'm gonna have to watch them a little bit more before I'm gonna reserve judgment. Right? Let's talk about another one we got wrong before we finish out with one that we got right. Number 21 at the time, Utah took a trip to BYU. They went to Provo to take on the Cougs, and I did watch this game not live. I had to catch the highlights because I was fast asleep by the time that 10-15 kickoff you know, was underway. I know I'm an old man. I'm not staying up late to watch that shit, but um, this is what happened. Still two solid football teams. I have to give BYU a little more credit than I was prepared to give them as far as being an actual legitimate decent team this year or a good team this year. Uh, And in Utah, I have to take a little bit of credit away. Now, defensively, both of these squads are still very solid. They play with good physicality for a team west of the Mississippi. What happened with Utah was they pissed on their leg for about the first 15 to 20 minutes of the game. To be honest with you, they had uh, a couple turnovers, a couple special team snafus that just kind of set them up in in piss poor position. And BYU seized that opportunity and never let it go. Um, They just they, 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 they took the lead and they never lost it. That's what happened. So not too much to unpack there other than Utah is going to have to play a little faster. They're going to have to play with less mistakes. 
and kind of get back to their identity of who and what they are as far as playing physical, good defense, leaning on the run game a little bit more, ball security, playing mistake-free. I think they went in there a little bit lackadaisical, a little bit high, um, maybe on themselves, and, and ended up coming out of Provo with a loss. So let's talk about the last one we did get right because we did go 500 this week, three and three on picks. Not, not my favorite, but again, avoiding the Sacco. We, we've never had a week where we're below 500, so we are trying to avoid that. So three and three, I'll take it. Uh, it was the trip that Washington took to Ann Arbor to take on the Michigan Wolverines. I will say this for this contest. Michigan has solidly I, you know, established an identity of what they are going to build their offensive game plans on, which is going to be physicality up front and leaning on, you know, again, a one-two punch out of the backfield, much like you saw out of Oregon, right? They, as far as the wide receiver positions, losing Ronnie Bell, they lost, you know, their marquee wide receiver. They're going to have to get down on the depth chart a little bit until a guy, you know, steps up into that role and emerges as a new, you know, solid number one. But what they do have is a great one-two punch out of the backfield with Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins is an awesome change of pace running back. They leaned on their big physical offensive line and just sort of physically wore down and dominated Washington over the course of four quarters, started ripping off explosive plays around halftime and into the third quarter. And I believe there was 55 running plays dialed up in this contest, only 44 yards of passing. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They didn't need to to chuck the ball around and take those risks to do it. They knew they were bigger, tougher, more physical than Washington, and they took it to them. I will say this for Washington's defense. They're more stout than the stat line would show because their offense just had a complete inability to get anything done. Michigan did stand tall and keep them off schedule, as we talked about, and did a decent job stuffing run rushing attempts on early downs. So uh, good credit them, credit the Wolverines for coming out and getting a good physical win against what in preseason was one of the Pac-12 favorites. And if you're looking ahead, if you are if you want to play this game, if you want to peek ahead to the contest between them and Ohio State, am I convinced that the Michigan Wolverines will beat the Buckeyes by the end of the year? Jury is way out on that one. But I will say this, if the Wolverines and Ohio State were to line it up right now, I'm not so convinced that Ohio State wins that one or even wins that one handedly. The reason I say that is, again, look at all of the defensive struggles that a team like Oregon, which offensively I think is built very similarly to Michigan, uh, gave them, right? In an inability to set the edge for the Buckeyes, an inability to make plays in the linebacker position, an inability to get tough and physical in the secondary, the Wolverines, that would play right into their game plan right now, and I believe they would be able to pound the rock on Ohio State all night long if they were to line it up right now. Now, I'm going to say this. Ryan Day is a talented coach. I'm sure he'll make adjustments as the season goes on, even if that means replacing Kerry Coombs and you know elevating somebody else from that staff to, to, to lean into that defensive play caller role or maybe putting his hands into it a little bit more. I don't know. But I will say that right now, the Michigan Wolverines are showing – the sort of DNA and the and the build to potentially give those guys some problems. So we'll see how this ages. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. Now that I've said that, the Wolverines will probably lose three straight. Who knows? But again, a very good primetime win 
for the Michigan Wolverines at home in front of the home crowd. Let's go around the horn real quick and talk about the other stuff that we said uh, we were going to get into. Some of the other games that we didn't make official picks on, but again, we just you know wanted to keep an eye on. So Kansas versus Coastal Carolina. That was a Friday night kickoff at 7.30 ESPN2. Coastal looked exactly like what we expected. Grayson McCall got out there, was very efficient, running that spread option that they run there with Coastal. The Black Swarm defense was moving around. Actually, I think they went with the light jerseys for this game. Um, But I will say this. Here's my takeaway. Kansas didn't look like Keystone Cops out there totally. They didn't look completely inept. They looked like just a team that's not talented. And... I think that's a great distinction. If Lance Leopold, the head coach for Kansas, who I think is a very talented, talented young coach, you know, a six-time national champion at the Division III level, built Buffalo back to any sort of relevance whatsoever. Um, I think if he can get the 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 delineation between Kansas being okay, this is a team that just needs some talent versus this is a team that's completely incompetent, right? If he can just go get them to, hey, this is just a team that needs some talent. Uh, I think that's a win for year one, and I think he's already sort of expressing that uh, in his very short tenure there in Lawrence. Moving on, let's talk about Pitt at Tennessee. I talked with a good buddy of mine, Mr. Victor Black, who was on the podcast when we talked Rocky Top on one of our uh, episodes a few weeks back. The feeling around this game is optimistic for the Vols, uh, for Vols fans in particular. There were 13 penalties for 130 yards, which was a huge factor in this contest. And you can't ex- ex- you know, expect to be successful in a tight fight when you have lapses in discipline like that. Now, the good news for Tennessee is that is controllable. And I'm actually impressed with the product that Tennessee is putting out right now. I get the feeling that they're going to be harder to beat this year than they were last year. The last thought I have on this game is Tennessee is a young team. You have to remember what they've lost. They're essentially playing with their two and three deep right now. I was very impressed with their ability to make this a game against a pit team that is actually very experienced coming in there. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to give you a little tip of the cap, Tennessee. Good job for putting up a tight fight with a young, inexperienced squad. And you saw the marks of that. You saw the marks of the inexperienced team. They gave up a double-digit lead, all the penalties, little mental lapses here and there. They self-destructed in the red zone a couple of times. That's just, that's young stuff. That's that shit young guys do. And nearly 40 players transferred from this roster. So you have to remember that. Tennessee is very much playing with basically the guys that would have been scout team this year. So you have to remember that and take this take this loss with a grain of salt. So good job for the balls, I felt. UAB at, at uh, number two, Georgia, Saturday at 3.30 on ESPN2. Here's a stat line for you. Mr. Stetson Bennett, the fourth. And Mr. The Fourth, through 10 of 12 for 288, five touchdowns, no picks, 24 yards per attempt. Here's the takeaway from this one. I told you to take the under, and that one just was wrong. Okay, uh, Georgia was not content to sit back on their heels and just hand it off in the run game and play great defense. They still played great defense. They still break, played great special teams. Uh, they were going to dial up their game plan as if JT was in the game, even though it was Stetson Bennett, and air that ball out to their young targets. And they did just that. I'm going to say this as well. UAB, although they looked horrible, 
right at the hands of Georgia is not a bad team. That is not a bad team. They have 35 wins under the program since returning in, in uh, since 2017. Um, they're not a an inept, incompetent team by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, they. I mean, look, they opened against Jacksonville State week one and blanked them 31 nothing. Jacksonville State just found a way to manage to beat Florida State. So. You know, they're not a terrible team from Conference USA, and uh, and Georgia made them look bad. What I'm encouraged for for the dogs is the fact that they did not sit back and go into their old conservative shell ways. They decided to attack and use the game plan that Todd Munkin was brought there to design. Definitely wanted to see a little more out of the run game, but great job airing it out yards after catch. I mean, I just I love the play designs you saw out of it, and that is what it's going to take to get them over the hump to an SEC championship, to another playoff berth, and that oh-so-coveted national championship. Let's talk about Texas taking a trip to Arkansas and taking a trip to the woodshed. Sam Pittman and crew, good Lord. Texas failed their SEC exam on Saturday. Arkansas looks like a team that has, again, an identity under Sam Pittman. We liked the defense for this squad. We previewed them in the offseason as being pretty pretty uh, stout and very experienced. They played fast. They played physical. They're not the most talented team on defense, but, man, they play hard, and they play really good team defense. I think Texas helped with a lot of un- incompetent shit I saw all over the field, especially on defense, a lack of physical presence up front, and inability to make tackles in the open field really exacerbated a lot of their problems. I also think that they might have started the wrong quarterback. Um, Casey Thompson came in and looked markedly better over Hudson Card. Uh, but again, great win for the program there in Arkansas. I think everybody needs to chill out before they start sticking Arkansas in the top 10 or top 11 because I was always suspect about how good Texas actually was because I was suspect about how good uh, UL uh, Raging Cajuns were. I, you know, Again, I was, I was skeptic on that team, on both of those teams. I didn't take much away from that first contest. I had this one circled. I That's why I didn't touch this game as far as a prediction, because I said it would just be a good acid test for Texas, and I was going to reserve right to sit back and see what happened, and boy, we saw what happened. Uh, you know, Arkansas takes it to them. My upset alert, almost cashed in, okay? And this has less to do with Miami being horrible and more to do with Miami getting a sledgehammer taken to their knees by Alabama in week one and then squaring off against one of the best group of five teams in the country with a pedigree of pulling these kinds of upsets. App State came to town and they threw their best punch. They did. You have to credit the Hurricanes on gutting out a a tough, gutsy win, uh, barely, right? I believe the final score to this one was 25-22, something like that. It It was close. It was very close. My upset prediction nearly landed, but Miami did en- did just enough to fend those guys off. So, unfortunately, didn't get the upset. But fortunately, if you're a Hurricanes fan, you do survive another week ahead of the contest with Michigan State. Best bets did hit. Boise State hit their spread versus UTEP at minus 26. This uh, this was at you know at home, coming off that dogfight with UCF. They were ready to get back on track. They did so beautifully. And then Purdue covered against UConn, as was expected, because UConn is just, well, they're UConn. I don't know what else to say about that. I, you know, If I don't have anything nice to say, I'm not going to sit here and talk a bunch of shit. 
Stanford versus USC, huge upset in the air, and not really, um, because I was never high on USC. We tried telling you, and if you listen, good for you. The Cardinal went to LA and dominated USC in the contest. It never felt close. They turned the Coliseum into a funeral parlor. This was the straw loss, the straw that broke the camel's back, and the camel collapsed, died, and threw Clay Helton into the desert of unemployment. He is now fired. Uh, This one is no shock to me. He was under the hot seat talk for a couple of years. You've had seven years in Southern Cal to figure this out. I think that they need to be very smart about their next pick to revive this program down there in Los Angeles and get somebody that can keep this California talent in California. There is so much California talent playing outside of California. You've got Kayvon Thibodeau up at Oregon. You have Bryce Young at Alabama. You got JT Daniels at Georgia. You got uh, Brock Bowers and Kendall Milton at Georgia as well. You got players there at Clemson. You got DJ Uyunglele at Clemson. These are guys that should be playing for USC hands down, and they're not. So have to be careful about who you are going to hire next to generate some groundswell back to that program. And then I'd be remiss if we didn't just have the biggest what-the-fuck moment in all of college football, Jacksonville State taking out Florida State. We wondered how they would handle coming off of the tight fight with Notre Dame, and we got our answer. This is a big loss for the program. Definitely a setback for the goodwill that Norvell was building thus far. And that takes us through the show. And hey, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then please do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. They can catch us on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at any given you as the handle. Get over to our Facebook page and group. Continue to build that community. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, get it at any given you.